0: I picked this particular psalm and uh, this particular section in light of the fact that it was going to be this Sunday after camp and we were going to hear testimonies from our students. And uh, so that was my plan A, uh, but uh, this is God's plan A. And so uh, this has much truth uh, for each of us to consider together today. And so I do want to briefly tap into this psalm, which is really one of the most fascinating psalms. That you find in the whole collection of Psalms. And and it's fascinating from a a very spiritual and deep, enriching standpoint. It's also very fascinating from a literary standpoint, as we'll consider some of these things together. But there's, there's typically two things that people know about Psalm 119. One, that it's the longest uh, psalm, or you could say chapter, that you find in the Scriptures. 176 verses uh, that comprise this particular psalm. The other thing many people know about this psalm is that every verse in the psalm speaks to the Word of God. It speaks to the reality of God's Word in our lives. It focuses on the splendor, the power, the importance, uh, the practicality of God's Word. One thing that makes this psalm so fascinating, though, from a literary standpoint, is it's a huge acrostic. Uh, you can't see that in an in a English translation. You can't see that really in any translation that we have of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's in the Hebrew language and embedded. It is an acrostic. You'll notice if you've got that open, and if, you, if you're using a, a phone, you may grab a pew Bible and turn to to 480 in the pew Bible, so you can kind of see it laid out uh, on a page rather than having to scroll through. Uh, but you'll see that the Psalm is broken up into 22 sections. Of eight verses each. So there's 22 sections, eight verses, in each of those sections, you could call those stanzas, if you would like. And uh, each of those stanzas begins with a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the first eight verses, all of them, each verse in that section begins with the same Hebrew letter. It's an acrostic. And then you move to verses nine through 16. It's another Hebrew letter. And if you've got your Bible open, you may be able to see this noted in the headings. Just above verses one through eight, there's probably an Aleph. It says Aleph. And just below, uh, or just above verses nine through 16, uh, you'll see Beth. And then moving on, Gimel, Daleth, hey. Those are the Hebrew letters that coincide in that particular section. It's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, A new discovery That I thought was interesting And this is one of those that eh, Maybe it is, maybe it's not But why eight verses in each section? Well throughout the whole of the psalm There are eight words That the psalmist uses Over and over Some more than others To describe the word of God And some have equated the parallelism here Some of those words that you'll find are Law, word, Judgment, or a decision, uh, a testimony, command, statute, precept, or saying, or that could be understood as a promise or an oracle. And again, I just think it's fascinating that we can look into and God's word, it just keeps giving and giving and giving in its depth. And so, I mentioned today, we're, we're merely going to tap into this psalm. Don't worry, we're not going to do all 176 of these today. We're going to look at one stanza. We're going to look at the, the bathe portion, verses 9 through 16. And so if you'd follow along, I'm going to read out loud for us. I want to consider these verses. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we consider these incredible truths from your word. And God, help us to just Be thankful that we have your word. You have spoken to us. What an incredible gift it is. And we rejoice in it today. We pray for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Many theologians believe that the primary attribute of God, the primary characteristic thing about his nature is holiness. That God is holy. Now, what does it mean when we say God is holy? Well, it, it means this. First, it means that he's different. It means that he is distinct. One of the words that we could use is transcendent. He's not like us. He's different from his creation. He's set apart from his creation. But another aspect of holiness that probably comes to mind for most of us when we think of the word is purity. That, that he's pure. He's without sin. That's the idea. In fact, the scripture says so pure he cannot even look upon. Sin. This is what we understand takes place on the cross as Jesus is bearing the sin of humanity. The Father looks away from him and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he cannot look upon sin. But did you also know that we are called to be holy? (laughs) The scripture says you should be holy just as God is holy. Holy. Now, we understand there's some limitation to that because, again, in that one definition, he's distinct from humanity. So when we understand being holy as God is holy, we understand it from the vantage point of being pure, working towards purity in our lives. We understand we find our purity in Christ, but we also strive to be set apart. Peter describes us this way. He says, you're a, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a holy nation. This week, our students considered this verse. This was the primary verse this week, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. This week they learned about being holy, being like God, not being like the world, to be different. But there is much within us that fights against holiness and there's much outside of us that fights against holiness inside sins of lust greed selfishness fight against our call to holiness and purity the the flesh uh, pushes against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh they're contrary to each other We learned about that in Galatians just earlier this year. Outside of us, we're tempted at every turn by the impurities of the world. The world says, hey, you believe what I believe about this. They want us to conform to the cultural norms of the world. It seems these days, lying and deceiving other people is somehow virtuous. A person's ability to, to pull the wool over somebody else's eyes seems to be, that's a, that's a leadership quality to look for. Things have changed in my lifespan. These days, sexual immorality is noted on every change of the channel, every scroll through the social media account. Uh, even, even while I was working on this sermon in my office, a couple of weeks ago, I got two spam explicit texts that came through on my phone. Many of you have probably been getting those as well. Those have been hitting the networks here lately. Uh, And it's crazy. The temptations are outside of us. And so with wars within and fights without, how will we ever remain pure in a world of impurity? How will we ever shine like the lights were intended to shine. Um, nearly a year ago is when I believe uh, the, the CDC, the World Health Organization, began to encourage people to use masks. Uh, we became know them as mask mandates. Some love them, some hate them. That's not my point today. Psalm 119 provides us with a bit of a mandate. Some protection against impurities, kind of like a mask, so that we can grow in holiness. And so I want to begin with the opening line. Notice he introduces the issue immediately. How can we remain pure? How can a young person, he particularly targets, but really any disciple, how can they keep their way pure? How do we remain pure? How do we keep our light shining bright? And the answer comes immediately. He doesn't delay, he gives it to us. He says, you do this by guarding your life according to the word. Guarding your life according to God's word. In, in some way, God's word acts like a mask. It protects us from the dangers that exist within and the dangers that exist without. I love the word the psalmist uses, Guard. It guards. That's the idea. It's something that is there and put in place to protect. Commenting on this is Alan Ross. Here's what he says. It calls for a consistent diligence in applying the word of God to the activities of the day. For us, consistent, diligent, applying God's word to the activities of your day. God's word is then meant to be a filter helping us to discern what is pure and what is impure. What is right and acceptable and what is wrong. When an inappropriate picture shows up on Instagram, begins to lead you uh, towards thinking wrong thoughts, what happens? God's word helps us to know in that moment, no, flee sexual immorality. God's word guards us and protects us. Go to Job where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not gonna look on those kinds of things. God's word acts as a protection in those moments of temptation. When we're tempted to lie to a friend, cheat on a project, God's word reminds us that God hates a lying tongue. That deceit moves completely against the grain of his character of truthfulness and faithfulness. And if we'll successfully guard ourselves, there's two requirements that come in the next couple of verses. Verse 10, the first is this, we got to seek after God. we got to seek Him out. When, when we're seeking after God, what, what's happening? We're looking for His place in our life. How, how does this situation that I'm in right now, what is God's place in this situation? This decision that I have in front of me. What is God's place in this decision? God should have a place in every area of our life. In other words, God isn't just a Sunday thing. He's not something that we, oh, well, we we do the God thing on Sunday, but then Monday, that's just about work and pleasing the management and, and making sure my family's happy and fed. No, God has a place in every single moment of our lives. And he says, seek him out. Seek out his place. Note the prayer that's offered in verse 10. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. Why does he pray that? Why does he add that in? Because that's a real problem for every one of us. We so easily wander from his commandments our campers just experienced a full week of god's word applied in a variety of ways to their lives the temptation they face now is to wander from those commandments yeah that's that's what i heard and it was good but now i'm going to move on with the rest of my life Guys, it's not just the temptation that our campers face. It's the temptation that every single one of us faces every time we encounter God's word. The question we should leave every time, whether we're doing our own reading and study at home or whether we're a part of a service where somebody's teaching us, the question is, how do I take this with me? How do I not forget this? Remember that, that story that James tells in James chapter one about the guy who, who hears the word of God and, and he, he sees things that need corrected, but he, he looks into the mirror and he, he walks away forgetting, forgetting. And what's James' encouragement? No, no, no. Be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Don't forget what God is saying to you. It's easy for us, isn't it? I'm I'm a a pastor. You know that about me. So I I study this stuff. I, I then teach this stuff. It's just as easy for me to forget as it is for you to forget. I can move beyond this sermon and start looking at the next thing as soon as I close the Bible and we say amen and leave. We have to put guards and protections in place so that we don't forget God's word. Next, we must also be diligent to store up. I love that, that, that phrase, to store up God's word in our hearts. It makes me think of my, my great-grandma's pantry with all those preserves in there. She's, she stored it up. It was there for use at some later point. The psalmist has done this, and so God's word is immediately available to him because it is, it is stored up in his heart, I remember vividly in third grade when Miss Dixon uh, started handing out the multiplication tables, and uh, we began to, you know, write and write and oh, redo, redo, and and, and the stress that she put—you've got to learn your multiplication tables—and and I did great up until we got to the sevens, the eights, and the nines, and twelve. Ten was really easy; that was my favorite, or zero. You know, those are great. And I struggled, and I didn't store them up. I didn't put them to memory, and you know what happened? In third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I fell behind. I fell behind because as we began to move into some of the more complex math division and long division, those things weren't readily recalled in my mind. And I would get stuck on this, this particular point, and I couldn't move on to the next point, and it took me years to recover and now I have a phone that has a calculator on it, praise God, (laughs) and I don't have to remember my multiplication tables. In a similar way, if we fail to store up God's word in our heart, we will not be ready to deal with the problems and the trials that come into our lives. We're not ready to recall the truth that we need in that particular moment. Because it's not in us, it's not a part of us because we've neglected to study and to prepare. I will say this, many Christians, and I I don't accuse any in this room of this, but many Christians are far too dependent upon other people. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's somebody else who disciples them. Maybe it's somebody else in their home. And they just, they never dig into God's word. They never store up God's word for themselves to prepare them. They simply just kind of latch on and, and uh, parasite on others as they move through life. And so herein lies the importance, and you're not gonna like this, of memorizing God's word. It's what this verse encourages us to do. Put God's word to memory. Familiarize yourself with it. Read it. Meditate on it. Dig deep into it. We, we store up God's word in our hearts and it helps us to avoid sinning against God. It, it filters the impurities that are within and the impurities that are without. God's word helps us do that. You know, Jesus gives us the greatest example of what this looks like in in day-to-day action. When you go to the Gospels in Matthew chapter four, Jesus goes to the wilderness, he's fasting, he's fasted 40 days, and guess who shows up? Here comes Satan. 40 days without food, I can't even begin to imagine. And what's the first thing Satan says? Hey, why don't you turn that, that rock into bread? Jesus could do that. (laughs) He made the rock. He probably made some pretty good bread, too. But what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where did he come up with that? Deuteronomy. (laughs) He had stored up God's word in his heart so that in the moment of temptation, he responds with what's true in the face of a lie. Satan isn't done, he tempts him a second time, a third time, and in each of those scenarios, Jesus responds with scripture. He's setting an example for us. We're meant to respond with scripture. So let me ask you this question, how are you storing up God's word in your heart? What are you doing so that you can prepare yourself for the temptations that are gonna come? you got to put a plan together. There's, there's all sorts of great tools that are accessible to us now. But quite honestly, just opening up the Bible and saying that's a verse I need to memorize and begin to put it to memory. Earlier I, I quoted Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some of you were probably, man, our pastor's amazing. He didn't look at his notes when he said that. Now, that's a wanna. That's like one of, that I remember. That's what Iwana, I learned that in wanna clubs. That's why I'm so grateful that our kids get the opportunity to put these scriptures to memory at such a young age, storing it up in their hearts. Verse 12 begins with a, a word of praise. We want to talk about the word being valuable. But he says, he breaks in and just says, blessed are you, O Lord. You're blessed. He wants to offer praise. And then he says this, teach me your statutes, a a prayer. He's, He's requesting, teach me your statutes. Again, another word that's used to describe the word of God. Are you teachable? Is the psalmist prayer your prayer every day? God, teach me your way. Teach me what I'm supposed to do. Do you desire to learn more from the Word? And then adding to his desire to learn more from Yahweh, in verse 13, the psalmist says this. He says, I don't just want to learn it. I want to teach it to others. I want to share it with others. I love this. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. I want to talk to other people about it. We... We talk about what we love. That's just the reality of life. The things that we delight in are the things that we have the most conversations about. Talk about kids, family, jobs. We talk about those things. We talk about what we spend time on, and that leads directly into verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Delight in your word as much as in all riches. The psalmist delights in the word of Yahweh. In Psalm 19, which uh, David will be preaching in a couple of weeks, the psalmist there says uh, that that your word is is better than gold it's sweeter to me than than honey straight from the honeycomb what's he saying he's saying i i delight in your word the same idea that's being expressed here the word delight is, is that's a strong word we don't use that very often we don't finish a meal i delight in this meal it's a powerful word It gets to the core of what brings us true joy and and satisfaction in this life. And the psalmist says, that's God's word. God's word is what satisfies me. God's word is what brings joy to my life. I don't know if you remember Psalm 1. We've, We've talked about it a little bit, not in this particular series this summer, but Psalm 1. That entryway into the book of Psalms. It says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scornful. But the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He is engrossed in it, he's engulfed in it. And so, what do you delight in? What is it that you're trying to find joy and satisfaction in? And and for many of us, we we attempt that in all the wrong places. And and we wind up frustrated. I thought that would be more meaningful. I thought that vacation would be the vacation to end all vacations. Now, we we come up empty-handed because there's only one thing it can bring true satisfaction and joy. It's the Word of God. It's the God who is revealed in the Word. It's the Savior who comes by way of the Word. What value do you place on the Word of God? And let me ask you this question, and I, I encourage you, talk about this over lunch today. How do you know that somebody is delighting in the Word of God? What's the evidence you see in a person's life to know, man, that's a person that really delights in God's word. The final commitment of the psalmist is is to meditate on Yahweh's precepts. And that parallels with the next statement, to fix my eyes on your ways. To meditate and to fix our eyes. The same concept It's to think through it to really examine something. In this case, it's the word of God. And Let me give you this this great description. I love this that Donald Whitney gives in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, meditation can be compared to lingering by a fire. Now that may be the last thing anybody wants to think about right now in the heat, but compare it to lingering by fire. Imagine that you've been outside on an icy day, and then you come inside, where there's a hot crackling fire in the fireplace. And as you walk towards it, you are, you are very cold and you stretch out your hand to the fire, you rub them together briskly during the two seconds it takes to walk past the glow and the warmth. And when you reach the other side of the room, you realize I'm still cold. <laughs> Is there something wrong with you? Are you just a second class warmer upper? No, the problem isn't you, it's your method. You didn't stay by the fire. If you want to get warm, you have to linger by the fire until it warms the skin, then the muscles, then the bones, until you're fully warm. Here's what Whitney says. The failure to linger is the reason why many fail to remember or find their hearts warmed by the fire of God's word. We don't give it enough time. We move on quickly. What plans will you make to linger in God's word in a busy and fast-paced world, we have to create space to do this. I've got that emboldened in my notes. We have to create space to do this. We create space for all sorts of other activities. We create space for dates and, and meals and, and sports and television and all sorts of things in our lives. We have to create space to meditate on God's word. And guys, that's not this. This is an opportunity to engage in God's word and and study God's word and understand it. But the meditation comes after this. The meditation comes after you, you close your Bible from reading your chapter in the morning and you begin to really pray through and think through and linger upon those truths that you've learned. That's what we're talking about. You've got to create the space to make that happen. And I, I assure you that the space you create for that will bring you far more joy than the space that you create for the many other things in your life. Because, as the psalmist says, this is where the good stuff is, this is where it happens. The last section is titled the word is necessary because in that final verse after using the word delight again the psalmist he commits i'm never going to forget your word i'm never going to forget this and the reason is because the word of god like oxygen is life if we don't have it we're done we must have god's word So today, here's my encouragement to to you, to our our campers who have returned from a week in God's Word. One, recognize the necessity and the importance of the Word of God. Uh, One one challenge that I'll give you today, other than thinking through some of the questions that I've asked and that are in your bulletin, take, take 20 or 30 minutes and just read through the entirety of Psalm 119. I know it's a lot, but as you read through that, then pick out like the five verses that are the most impactful for you. Where you're at, your situation, and then just spend some time meditating on those things. Spend some time praying through those things. Second thing I want to encourage you with is seek after God through his word. Some of you don't like books. And that's too bad. (laughs) Because God chose to reveal himself to us through a book. Through a word that is spoken. And that means we have to engage him through the means that he has revealed himself to us. Seek after Him. Store up God's Word in your heart. Meditate on the Word. Do whatever you have to do to avoid forgetting or wandering away from the Word. Don't be a forgetter. Be a doer. That's why it's so important for us to set aside time every day to create that space for meditation. It's why it's important that we have a plan in place Here's what I'm reading. Here's where I'm thinking about God. That's why gathering as a church is so critical. We gather together to to worship. We gather together to consider the truth of God's word every week. I'm thankful that you're here today. I'm thankful that you're here to be able to hear, not from some pastor in a cool Hawaiian shirt. But you're hearing from God's word. Guess you guys didn't think my shirt was cool. <laughs> and can I, can I just just say this as well? The Word, the Word is what reveals to us the glory and the beauty of our Savior. We wouldn't know the salvation of Jesus. We wouldn't know the sinfulness of ourselves apart from God revealing these things in our word. And at every turn of the page, as you move from Genesis to Revelation, we see sometimes glimpses and promises of Jesus. And sometimes we see the full 4K stereo sound version of Jesus. But he's there from beginning to end. The Word reveals our Savior. Why wouldn't we want to dig as deep as we could dig to know Him more so that we might make Him known even more? Let's get busy storing up God's Word and meditating on it. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I want to give you an opportunity to pray Uh, Maybe some of the the commitments that you see the psalmist making are commitments that you want to make. This is the time. This is the place. This is the opportunity you have to pray. Spirit, would you bring us to a place where we all treasure the word as much as the psalmist treasures the word? Bring us to a place where 176 verses isn't enough. We pray that, that God, our affection for you would be known by our affection for your word and your revelation of who you are, what you desire from us. Help us to not forget today. Help us to store it up. Because this world wants to destroy us. The sin that's inside of us wants to take over and rule us. God, you in your wisdom have well equipped us. And we're thankful for that. Help us to delight in your Word to make the space that is needed. Father, I'm thankful for the the women and the men in my life from childhood who who pointed me to your truth. The the women and men in, in, in my life who have delighted in your word and been an example of that. Thank you for those people. I'm grateful for them. Help us to continue to teach the next generation what it is to delight in your word. We need grace. We need your help. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.